This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. When the state of California passed a new law that forced publicly traded companies to have at least one woman on their board of directors, it was a loud sound across the bow stating that this state wanted more diversity on boards of directors. That had been a request for some time that some companies had seen fall on deaf ears, but not all. And the expectation is that the time for change is now. Dealing with the issue of diversity is not just male or female, it is cultural, and it is also of a different mindset on issues. Janet Foudy is the chair of the board for Deloitte U.S. Its board, according to the company's website, right now has eight women and 12 men on it. Jeff Smith is the CEO of Starboard Value, as well as chair of the board of Papa John's, and they join me in studio to give us their sense of this issue on diversity. I want to start by asking you, I, I think what a lot of people have, have talked about lately is the change in the law in California. And obviously, I think that is kind of a, a first step in this process. Janet, how do you think that change is going to impact not only companies in that state, but potentially other states as well? So as you can imagine, lots of conversation um, in the market writ large, a lot of conversation around women, um, executives in and around the law. Um, how I think about the law is actually that it is... A bit of a sledgehammer, which is a strong term, um, but I think there are times and places where you need a sledgehammer. So I'm actually, after thinking about it a lot over the last handful of years, I actually am in favor of pushing the conversation through legislation. So I think that's important to start with. But recognizing that sledgehammers can be really dangerous. So I think it is going to affect the conversation and the outcomes but I've been thinking a lot about what are the implications of that sledgehammer and what do we have to do to make sure that it's used for good mm -hmm. um, and the positive intent it was it was really was is and was really meant for. I'd also be remiss if I did not talk briefly about Illinois, which is my home yeah. state, which has a um, much more watered down version of the law to try to get it into the conversation. Jeff, what do you think? Well, I think anything that pushes the um, the conversation on on diversity is a good thing. I think we, on our own in terms of the business community, haven't done as good a job uh, historically as we could have done. Um, but I think that's being done also commercially. So um, there's been a real push over the last couple of years from investors um, on their own in sending letters into boards um, and expressing their desire to have a more diverse boardroom. Those letters by themselves are powerful. So I don't know if you need um, additional regulation. I don't mm -hmm. know that it hurts, but I don't know that you need it. I think it is going in that direction anyway because the boards are hearing it from their owners, from from the investors, from the shareholders, that they want to see more representation in the boardroom that looks and feels more like their employee base and their customer base. And, and it's not just male versus female. It's just the general mindset that is what we'd like to see in boardrooms across America right now. Yes, yes. It's, it's, um, well, it's starting from the shareholder perspective in being male and female, but it's moving towards um, full diversity of thought and geography, um, as well as race and gender and, and, and anything else. So it's a good thing. There's not a, but I don't think, like Janet, I don't think there's a great way to prescribe the right answer, and I don't think the prescription is necessarily the same for every company. So I do believe it has to move towards a commercial solution, right. um, but it's not a bad thing to push, um, push the conversation. Janet? So I, um, I, th I think we're coming from a very similar place. I mean, the things I worry about are tokenism, 
for sure. Um, and as a, as a female executive, something I'm really sensitive to is that how do we make sure that the laws and the forcing function um, are there for all the right reasons, to your point, but, but not tokenism. Um, I worry a, a lot about culture in the boardroom and how do we make sure that the boardroom takes an inclusive mindset across a broad set of topics um, and and creates a culture where it is not tokenism and where it is absolutely um, for the right reasons as opposed to because it because it was mandated. So how do you think that's developed with your company, with Deloitte? How, how has have you seen that change, that adjustment over, over the over the last couple of decades? So I love that you use the expression a couple of decades because it has been that long. Yeah. So we started talking about gender in Deloitte back in the early 90s as as a conversation that still transcends, which is the right thing to do and the right thing for business, which is really how we started the conversation way back when. What I would say is it has moved from a um, side conversation among the topmost executives and the women um, to a conversation that transcends the organization. If I think about our board in particular, um, our board is – how we seat our board is a little bit different than a public company. We have a nominating committee that is separate from the chair and from the CEO, so that operates independently. Right. So they take the soundings of the partners, all 3,000 of them, and get input on who should sit on our board. So the conversation there is probably the best example of how much it has changed because we have a very diverse board today. And that is because that's the voice of our partners because they know it's the right thing to do as yeah. opposed to legislated or mandated. Do you expect that we are going to see more companies, as you just alluded to, want to make sure that the the job of CEO and, and, and board is separate? <laughs> and that obviously has been a topic of conversation with, I think, a lot of companies in, in the last couple of years. Yeah, so we actually made the change in our organization, which as a private partnership is a little bit different, um, about 15 years ago to separate the two roles. You know, just in any any day you pick up the press, it feels like you read about the next organization deciding to make deciding to make that change. Yeah. I think the complexity of the business environment and the number of things coming at the management team, I am a believer in um, a lot of goodness in the separation of the roles that can come from um, both the checks and balances, but also the collaboration that can come from two different mindsets in terms of governance and management. So we found it to be effective in our organization. And I think the trend in the marketplace writ large makes a lot of sense for the time that we're in. Well, Jeff, I'll, I'll have you answer both of those questions, because obviously with Papa John's, it's gone through some issues in the last couple of years that it has had to kind of play out. But how, how have you also seen the board develop uh, with, with Papa John's over the last several years? Yeah, maybe I'll go for a high-level conversation about chair and CEO separation because I I couldn't agree more with Janet. I think that they are different responsibilities. The board's job is to oversee the um, the CEO, and it really doesn't it doesn't actually make any sense for the CEO to also be the chairman of the board overseeing the CEO. It's circular. It it doesn't make sense, and it's um. And boards that have a chair, an independent chair, I believe, uh, can operate more effectively and have a better check and balance versus a board that has the CEO as the chair but then kind of goes around it by having a lead director, which I just don't think really works. The challenge with that, though, from a commercial standpoint, is a practical challenge. Mm -hmm. And this actually comes back to the conversation we were having about legislation, although I'm not sure it has to be completely legislated. But the issue from a practical standpoint for corporations is how do you hire the best CEO 
and demand that they not take the chair. I was going to say chairman, but the chair, <laughs> the chair title. Right. Um, and and that that's a, it's a real it's a real issue inside the boardroom because from my standpoint, I firmly believe that they should be separated. Firm, firmly believe it. However, right. right, the most important role for the board is to choose the CEO. And our job, the, the most important person inside the company, is that CEO that's going to run the company. So if you had two CEO candidates that you were looking to hire, and one of them was the perfect person, the perfect person that was outstanding, you knew was going to be enormously successful inside the company. And then yeah. you had your next best candidate that wasn't really as good. And the perfect one wants the chair and CEO title and is only going to take the job if they get the chair and CEO title. And the other one... You know, says, you know, it's fine. I don't, I don't want the chair. I don't need the chair CEO and CEO title. What do you do as a board member? Yeah. And that's mm -hmm. the practical that problem that we are dealing with in corporate America is if that title is available, then some of the very best people are going to demand it because they see their friends got it and they see their peers got it. And therefore, it's something they can have. So the only way to actually make sure that that's not available and we move forward is in a, it doesn't have to be legislated, but we, we do need to get the shareholders together to kind of say to boards like they did with, um, with some other, you know, other issues, other governance issues that if boards hand out the chair and CEO title combined, what really should happen is shareholders should then say they're going to withhold votes against those board members. And especially tricky in this transition time, right, where there's clearly a trend, but we're not all the way there yet. Right. And, and I, what I would do is I would grandfather in the ones that have it, because taking away titles is very difficult. Sure, yeah. But I think you can go forward and you can actually make that change. But the, I don't want to divert us just to that conversation, <laughs> no. but, but that's, that's important. As it relates to where we're going from, from a diversity standpoint, it's not just a board um, it's not just a board issue. So the board has to lead, but we really need to make sure it's it's flowing through the ranks. So yeah. you have to have the executives yeah. that are that are also um, becoming more diverse in thought, um, and that's based on their backgrounds and and their race and everything else. But it has to it has to flow through the entire organization because our employees are that way and our customers are are that way and i i think i read something that in the next in the next 20 25 years the minority is going to be the majority in the country so we really should be looking we should be looking that way and we should be that it's just it's it's good for business well i, I guess to a degree then that's mindset if if the members of the board and the members of the highest ranks of the c suite have that mindset janet then you're talking about going down the correct path that a lot of people would like a corporation to go down. So I think you're spot on. I think it is mindset, um, which ties, of course, into culture. And the the conversation, and, and I believe the tricky part of the conversation is the pace at which this change happens. Because I think everyone gets at this point that philosophically um, this is the right thing to do for business. Um, but the pace of change um, on both racial and gender diversity, um, not to mention diversity of thought and background and perspectives more broadly, is taking a long time to change. Uh -huh. So we just did a survey globally in and around in and around board seats. And the good news is, and this was gender only, um, is that board seats are up 2% for women over the last two years, so a percent a year but still hovering just below 17%. So right. that is a long time to move the needle to that end. And so that's, I think, the tricky part is how do we accelerate the conversation to get to the goodness um, that, we, that we've been talking about here? All right. So then I'll throw that part of the question to you, Jeff, is what is the right pace of change 
in order to make it happen. You want to see effective change as quickly as you possibly can. But as Janet just alluded to, the numbers suggest that the normal or relatively normal pace of change is very, very slow in this process. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, board seats don't turn over as much as you might yeah. think that they do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, unfortunately, look, we're, we're activist investors, so we want board seats to turn over much more frequently. But in general, people think that if they're on the board, they get to stay on the board until they're ready to leave. And, you know, there's there needs to be more of an impetus on changing over board members if they're not performing as well as they could or if there's somebody else that can do a better job for that company. Janet's process inside Deloitte sounds terrific if you're going to have an independent nominating governance committee that's going to be evaluating what's best for the company and put in place the best mm -hmm. representation on the board. That's fantastic. It's not the way it works in, inside most companies. Um, companies are getting better, um, but it is taking longer. It's 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 too slow. So then do you expect it? And I'm glad you brought up the activist investor side of this, because I don't think we go a week doing this show without hearing the term activist investor linked with some company and, and some sort of change at the corporate level. Will the will the impact of the activist activist investor continue to grow as we move forward, do you think? Well, I, I hope so until a point, right? So, I mean, we study this at Wharton, right? It's, a, yeah. it's an equilibrium factor inside the market, right? The inefficiencies go away because somebody steps in and fixes those inefficiencies. Well, boardroom dynamics are inefficient. So the reason why you have activist investors who are able to be so successful mm -hmm. is because the activist investor can represent the will of the shareholders, and the shareholders don't feel as though they're getting adequately represented by the board members that are in existence. So... We have an opportunity because we're filling that void. We're filling the void in poorly performing companies of representing the interests of the shareholders because they don't think the board is doing it as, as well as they should be for them. So you're going to hear more and more about that until boards and companies start to do a better and better and better job mm -hmm. at representing the interests of the shareholders. So I, I believe you're going to hear more and more about it until at some point, you know, the equilibrium effects start to get start to get fixed. So just one additional uh, lens on that discussion. We he have seen a number of our clients, and I think the research is starting to prove this out, that some people are – some organizations are um, making their board larger in order to accommodate right. a, a larger set of voices. There's absolutely trade-offs to that end. I don't think that is a sustainable answer, but that is one way at which you could see the pace of change um, go faster over time and not take the 30 years it would naturally take take to get to equilibrium equilibrium given the slow pace of change. We haven't talked as much about um, skills and content diversity in this conversation as well. You know, I do yeah. believe this sort of transcendent couple of issues of our time, um, technology and technology disruption, digitization, um, talent and workforce are two topics that I believe give an opportunity for boards to also think about how they reshape the conversations within the boardroom right. and engage in a very different discussion with management because those two topics are well represented in some boardrooms, less well represented in others. And I believe you absolutely have to have the vo those voices in the boardroom as well. But that's, that's part of, uh, I think, what you're expected to see is a natural change of how the company is thinking about those topics in general. And why would it not just continue up the chain to, exactly. the, to the board of directors, correct? Correct. And or, and or have the board be able to drive some of that change as well, right, as they oversee strategy and the management team, both, both directions. Jeff? Yeah, it's, you know, the balance in the boardroom is, is hard. So Janet's right. Um, for each company, you have to figure out what, what are the most important skill sets of the company and, and the management team so that you can adequately 
oversee them and be able to judge what they're telling you. You know, mm-hmm. are they are they telling you or are they giving you a plan that makes sense or is it a plan that's likely not to work? And it's way better if you as a board actually have the knowledge to be able to push back and understand what they're saying than if you're just going to rubber stamp it and say, okay, and then find out three years later it didn't work. So, of course, you want to have the expertise. The challenge, and we've, we've, we've dealt with this a lot in trying to reshape boards, is do you then fill your board with, um, with people that have specific spot talents? Mm-hmm. Um, so a uh, supply chain expert, a uh, technology expert, a you know, digital marketing expert. Or do you fill your board with CEOs and CFOs who understand overall management of a company? And the right answer is a mixture. And in most cases, the right answer is the mixture. But I've seen boards go one way or the other. So yeah. they either have all CEOs and, and CFOs or former CEOs and C- former CFOs, or they have you know a whole bunch of point experts. Um, and then they don't have somebody that actually understands how, how, you, how you run a business inside, inside the company. And there are different reasons why they do that. You have to figure out, you know, when we, when we put together a board, it's a team. You know, you're, sure. you're trying to put together the team that you're going to be able to succeed with in, in order to oversee the company. I couldn't agree more with that balance with you with your balance point. Um, you know, I was talking earlier about the complex nature of the issues that really unprecedented in nature and that maturity and wisdom and gravitas against a broad set of topics balanced with with uh topics that are up and coming is is the absolute sweet spot of how of ideal board composition and i do think board composition is at the heart of the matter a lot of, of a lot of what we've been talking about you know we started with gender and racial diversity we've now been talking about a broad set of things but it is about how do you compose a highly effective board to oversee management to challenge them to ask the right questions there's there's time management too i mean there's board members that may have the the most perfect resume and they just don't have the time. Sure. Yeah. And then you have some other board members, maybe the resume isn't quite as good, but they're fantastic board members because they devote the time, the energy, the effort, they make themselves available to people inside the organization. So you're really combining a lot of factors that most people don't think about when when putting together the board. And then unfortunately, you're not turning it over as fast as, as you should because some of those people that aren't great board members are allowed to continue to stay on the board year after year after year, even though the board really knows that they're not. Right. Um, because you also get into boardroom dynamics, which is all based on human nature. And it's very difficult in the boardroom. I mean, we, the three of us could pretend we're in the boardroom and imagine that one, you know, one of us needed to go and we want to replace. We all think that we need to replace one of us yeah. and put somebody else on. But there's nobody here that's going to do it for us. So we have sure. to actually sit in the room together, the three of us, and we have to say, OK, you know, we're voting one of one of us off the island. It's not that easy to do. So. The boardroom dynamics are very, very interesting, which comes back to why, you know, activist investors and shareholder involvement sometimes becomes really important because it gives the backbone to the board to do that which they knew they needed to do, but they weren't going to do on their own. So that, I think, uh, in my final topic, involves transparency, which I think is something that a lot of people who are the investors, who are the... Uh, the consumers of the company, whatever it might be, are the ones that are looking for that level of transparency and understanding, okay, we have to vote somebody off the island, so what's the process that is actually occurring so that we feel better as a consumer of a product or as a, as a shareholder uh, of a particular company? 
So we obviously um, see this in the market a lot within our own organization because we have a very different governance model. It's a hi- essentially a hybrid between public and private given yeah. the size that we are. Um, we, we live that each and every year as our partners actually decide um, which of our board members they want to renominate and who they want to put on the board. There is just one other quick thread. I, I think it's really important yeah. to note um, in and around this idea of um, transparency and to get just get back to the diversity topic we, and the human nature the human nature, I think it's very easy to think of boardrooms as these very, very formal places, which they are as they should be. But forget that the human nature element of the boardroom, um, it absolutely sits in the middle of each and every boardroom. Because one of the things I worry about with gender and racial diversity is to your point around how much time people have, is that we're starting to see the same women and underrepresented minorities in particular um, recycle through many boards. And so yeah. this idea of recycle rate, I believe, is one that we need to address as well to get a broader set of voices into the boardroom to to to, to push us collectively. Um, and the human nature of this tends to be if someone's been on these three boards, we think they could be good on yet one more board. Jeff? Yeah, I look, we're we at Starboard are, are always meeting great new people um, who are interested in going on boards. So the the nice thing is, most people want to go on boards. I mean, it's, there's no shortage of people who want to go <laughs> yeah, on boards. That is for sure. Uh, so you don't have a lot of people saying no, thanks. I'm going to pass this right. time. People want yeah. people want to do this. Um, yeah. It's a great thing to do. It's really interesting. You're getting involved in a company. You you stay connected. You're connected to the organization. You're you're broadening your network. Um, so it's a, it's a terrific role to play. So there's no shortage of people that want to do it, which yeah. comes back to the question we're asking here. So then why why are boards having a hard time then filling their ranks with the right mix of people? They shouldn't be. Yeah, They shouldn't be. They should be available. So we at Starboard you know, continue to broaden our database. We meet people all the time that are interested in being board members, and they're from you know all different backgrounds and have all different expertise levels and, um, and areas of expertise. So um, that's what we look to do. I agree, Janet. Finding the same person that is on six boards and then seven boards and they're constantly rotating because they want to make sure they're fully boarded up and then they drop one and they go to the next one because they want the one that's you know higher paid than the one that they're dropping. Yes, we have to make sure we're choosing the right people for the right reasons. So then let me ask you this. I, I, it would be poor if I didn't ask you then with the changes of Papa John's, then bringing Shaquille O'Neal on as a member of the board. And obviously he's somebody that has been invested in kind of the restaurant culture post-NBA career. That, I would imagine, was part of the dynamic, his background of being a, a restaurateur that makes it a, a good fit. Yeah. I mean, look, we were very fortunate. So uh, Shaquille O'Neal is fantastic. He's incredibly smart. Um, and with the issues that were going on at Papa John's, he actually wanted to get invo- involved in the brand, you know, right as they were happening, right. uh, because he's he only gets involved in companies that he believes in. Right. He's very, very authentic. Um, and Papa John's is a brand that he's loved since he was in college at LSU. And so when the brand was having issues, his his view was that he could get involved. He wanted to get involved based on his background, based on his uh, expertise in restaurants. He's yeah. been a very successful restaurateur. Um, he wanted to get involved and he wanted to help. And his team, his management team, when he spoke to them about calling Papa John's to get involved, said, no, you can't get involved. It's It's too difficult right now. And then after we got involved, after Starboard made the investment in, in Papa John's and I became the chair, 
he then asked again and they said, yeah, now it's, now it's okay. And I, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with Shaquille and he wasn't going to go on the board just because who he is. He, he, he's going on the board because he can help. He's going yeah. on the board because of his thinking, because he knows restaurants, not only restaurants, but franchised restaurants. It was, it was a great fit. Um, and you know, we had a, a long discussion about it and I said, why do you want to do this? I mean, Shaquille, this is not a good use of your time. Right. Uh, I, I want you to do this. I'm thrilled if you want to do this. And it's not yeah. a good use of your time. I mean, you're going to be sitting in these board meetings, and you don't get paid very much compared to what you can make if you were doing other things. Why do you want to do this? And he's he's incredible because he's so smart and so talented and so creative from a marketing standpoint, um, but he's also a learner. And he said, well, I want to learn. I, I really want to learn. And most people don't know this about him, but he went back to school. He left LSU after his uh, junior year. Yep. He went back, got his degree. He then got his MBA. He then got his Ph.D., he then went into the police academy and went all the way through and became a detective. He tells me he wants to go to law school as well. He wants to learn. So what he said was, I think I can make a difference at Papa John's. I think it's really important. I think we can change the world, starting with one company. And I want to learn what it's like to be inside uh, the boardroom at a public company. I think it's going to be helpful for all the things I'm doing in my business career. So worked out great. And it's turned out he's been a fantastic addition to the board with tremendous diversity of thought. So, um, you know, he he is not discussing the the things in the boardroom that we all seem to discuss all the times, all the time. And there's plenty of people having those conversations. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll be talking about some area of marketing or development or something to do with the product or certainly price point. And he comes right in and fully grasps the view of the employee base and the view of the uh, of the customer, and is advocating for what's the, what's in the best interest of the brand based on that lens. And it's different. It's different than than what we had before he was in the boardroom. Great having great having you both here with us today. Thank you very much for for coming on the show. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Jeff Smith, Janet Foudy, joining us here in studio. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.